0: Welcome to Total Health Transformation Podcast, hosted by Dr. Danny Scarhill. Dr. Danny is a doctor of chiropractic, an author, speaker, and trainer. And on the THT podcast, he interviews other health experts to glean further insights that will help you achieve total health transformation. Welcome to the Total Health Transformation Podcast. My name's Dr. Danny Scarhill, the founder of dannyscarhill.com, the author of Total Health Transformation, the proven system to unlock limitless energy, motivation and health, and the creator of the Total Health Transformation programs. Let's get straight into it on this episode. Welcome to tonight's call, where we have Mr. Frank Ferrante. Frank is an ex-addict, and he's now 54 years old, overweight Sicilian American from Brooklyn with hepatitis C and some bad habits. He also wants to fall fall in love one more time before he dies. May I Be Frank, the film or documentary documents Frank's transformation as he stumbles into an aptly named vegan cafe uh, called Cafe Gratitude and over 42 days begins a life-changing journey during which he is coached physically, emotionally and spiritually by 23-something staff members on the path to enlightenment. (laughs) Challenged by years of addiction, fatigue, and family dysfunction, Frank's quest for a healthier lifestyle is both tense and touching. Through Frank's metamorphosis, we witness the powerful effects of change upon one person's life and the potential we all have to find the most important love of all, love of ourselves. Without further ado, welcome to the call. Frank, how are you doing, sir?
1: Hi, Doc. I'm uh, doing
0: great. Thank you for inviting me to your show. Oh, you're most welcome. So your journey sounds very, very interesting, Frank. Tell me a little bit about your journey uh, from back then to where you are today.
1: Well, it's uh, <clears throat> you know one of the things I've learned is that everybody has a story. Uh, mine just happened to be put on film. But uh, it's been a really uh, it's a, it's been an interesting trip. It's like the old uh, the Grateful Dead song. It's been a long, strange trip. I uh, I uh, when I stumbled into the uh, Cafe Gratitude, I had no idea of. Uh, I, first of all, when I went there, I thought it was a coffee shop because from a distance I saw it, uh, and and it's, I saw the sign. It's said Cafe Gratitude, and I'm uh, I'm involved in the 12-step world, and in the 12-step world. Gratitude is a central virtue. So I thought it was somebody from AA with a, that was being clever with their name of their cafe. And, uh, and so I, w- I went there, and it was a dark and dreary San Francisco night, and uh, it, was, it was foggy and misty, and it was February and chilly, and it was a direct reflection of my internal landscape. And as I approached this place, it was uh, <clears throat> it was warmly lit, and there was a young woman standing in the window with long braids. She looked like Pocahontas. I thought, well, this looks like a nice place. And uh, and so I stepped inside, and I opened the door, and and people were very very boisterous in their greetings. Hi, welcome, glad you're here, come on in. And it was like 18 years worth of greetings in like three seconds. So I went in, I looked around, and uh, I saw this Ryland, uh, one of the uh, filmmakers, standing there. And, and at the time, he didn't know he was a filmmaker, by the way. And he's standing there smiling, and I walked up to him, and I said, hey, man, I had to have a cup of coffee and cafe gratitude, because I figure somebody here is in recovery. Hmm. And he looked at me and said, we're all recovering from something, aren't we? And I immediately knew he was not in the 12-step world and maybe assumed that he smoked a joint before going to work because they were all so damn happy. <laughs> and uh, I, started coming to, I started frequenting the place, and, <clears throat> and I wasn't really interested. And I looked around, and he I, and I noticed that I looked a little perplexed as I looked around because I didn't see a coffee machine. There wasn't a stove. There was not a flame to be found. And, and I had no idea that this was a raw food re- vegan restaurant as far as I was concerned, it was cattle was what, ate raw food, and, and vegan, I thought vegan was a planet. You know, I didn't know anything about that world <laughs> whatsoever. So I, um, I started going back there because they were very kind and friendly. And when, you're that, when I was that fat, I was nearly 300 pounds, which I'm not sure what that translates into in kilos or stones. But it's, let's just say it's rather rotund. I was on my way to looking like Sydney Green Street. Anyway, um, I, I started frequenting the place because of the kindness that was expressed to me. And at, at the time, I was very, very lonely and very isolated by my own hand. And these people saw me And when I was that fat, which I was going to say before. When I was that fat, the, 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 the irony is that I was big enough to create an eclipse of the sun, and yet I felt unseen because I just I just felt that people were looking at this grotesque exterior. <clears throat> and so I, I, I started frequenting the place because they were so nice to me and they were kind, and I felt seen. And then one day I was, uh, and I didn't care, as I said, I didn't really care about the food. I would go there and I would hang out and I would order a dish of some kind. And <clears throat> and then I would, um, when I left, I would go have chicken and ribs because at 300 pounds, i felt that I needed more than kale to walk around. And, um, and so I, I, um, I kept going, and one day Ryland came to my table and said, uh, hey, Frank, you know that movie, Supersized Me? I said, yeah. It's where that healthy guy eats himself sick. He goes on a fast food diet for about for, um, 30 days, and two weeks into it he gets really sick. He goes, yeah, yeah, that movie. He says, well, we want to do something similar. We want to take a guy who's not well, which was a rather generous description for my condition at the time. And we want to feed them raw food and vegan food and go to um, holistic health practitioners and do colonics and, and we want to film it and we want you to be the guy. And I said, sure, no, fine, why not? I, I really didn't think much of it. What's interesting is at the time nobody had a camera. I had the most filmmaking experience because I had seen the most movies, <laughs> but we had but this idea you know this idea and and the film to me is also a testament to idealism, which was all but dead when I met these guys, and I remember in the sixties when we believed we were going to change the world and make a difference and all of that, and so much of it turned to something other than that <clears throat> and and so i um and so I said sure and and so they, they uh, interestingly enough, the universe had the stars aligned, and um, a camera fell into our laps that uh, that we could afford, and that was a, was a, of the t- of a, of a quality that would render a decent film. And um, we went to a hardware store and bought uh, plastic pipe to make a to make a boom mic, and um, and we began filming, and uh, we and uh, a day at a time. And I, I made a commitment to, uh, to 42 days of doing this, and we arrived at the 42 days. No, the number we arrived at was because at first they, they thought about doing 30 days, and I said, hey, man, that sounds like cheap television advertising. Do this in 30 days, and do that in 30 days. And one of the guys said, okay, well, how about 40 days? Well, I said, well, that sounds too messianic.
0: Hmm.
1: So um, we came up with 42 days, which corresponds with a workbook that I used. And uh, a day at a time, I, I, uh, <clears throat> I committed to doing this, and I was doing things I didn't really want to do, and uh, uh, not the least of which was drinking wheatgrass, which I couldn't stand, with a, uh, with a rather uh, skeptical New York attitude, New York Sicilian attitude about the whole thing, and I really didn't believe in any of this nonsense. It was like, you know, I, I, was, I didn't, and now I, I live by it. And, um, and I think the reason the film works is because if I were just another, White guy with dreadlocks. Who would care? You know, that a skinny white guy that's a vegan with dreadlocks would not be very interesting. But uh, you know, when I met Ryland it was, it was like it was like Tony Soprano meets Deepak Chopra. Hmm. So, so um, that's the genesis of the film.
0: That sounds like such a fantastic um, documentary film, um, documenting a massive transformation there. And you know, you were saying that um your previous lifestyle was obviously nothing like what what it is now yeah
1: no nothing at all okay i mean the first the first um the first 38 years of my life <clears throat> from 0 to 38 I mean, not not when i was a little boy but when I, from the time i was a teenager to the time i was 38 years old i was heavily involved with drugs and alcohol and uh uh, I mean, and I, you know, when I was a young man, I was a heroin addict, and then I stopped that and and uh, and readily got into cocaine and alcohol and that whole 80s thing. And it wasn't until 1989, when I was about 36 or 37, that I, I uh, entered into a 12-step program and got sober. But there was more to it than that. I put down the drink and the drugs, but there was... Uh, you know, drinks and, drinking and drugging and, and overeating and all those things are symptomatic of a deeper underlying condition. You could, it, it's, it's it does just because, uh, you know, there's a saying, uh, if you take the booze away from a drunken horse thief, you still have a sober horse thief.
0: Over the years um, in your quest for health, which by the sounds of it is several years now, what uh, were the biggest lessons that you learned along the way? What would you do differently?
1: Um, the, well, the biggest lessons I learned were, well, first of all, that, that, that um, there's no magic bullet. Um, very often, I think, my I, I've toured or I've gone around, I've been to a lot of places. In the past two years, I've probably been to 150 cities. And one of the most frequently asked questions in the Q&A is, what's that one thing, what's that one thing that you learned or that one thing that motivated you? And I interpret that question as what's that one thing that I really have to do so I don't have to do everything else? It's, it's what I found out that there's no magic bullet and I always wanted a magic bullet. And I also, I also, also believe that if, if everything was, in order for life to be okay, in order for, my, to, for me to be um, comfortable in my, my own skin, then, as opposed to being comfortable in somebody else's, but in order for me to be comfortable in my skin, I have to uh, be okay with what's going on irrespective of the circumstances. And that was never the way I thought. I thought that everything had to be okay for me to be okay. And I always saw myself as a as a victim of my circumstances and not seeing my circumstances as a, result, as a resulting from my choices. And so, Really, it's it's really coming to terms with the great reality. I believe that one of the deepest spiritual experiences a person can have is seeing themselves for who they really are, but not not who they judge, not how they judge themselves, or not how they perceive themselves through the eyes of another, but genuinely see yourself for who you really are at that moment in time. And it, to me, it's a deeply, uh, it's a profound spiritual experience. Fleeting. Definitely, because we have egos, and and we uh, you know we have an ego, and I have an ego. Everybody has an ego, and, and I'm you know what you what you think and say matter to me. It, you know it's, no matter what I say, no matter how, how much I contest that, I, I care about what how the world sees me. I, I do. I care about how my you know my friends see me, and um, and I you know and I think that that's part. That's a very important aspect of community. I think that. You know, but at the same time to be um, to be in a state of, 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 of reality about who I am and and, uh, and, and right sizing if you will:
0: That's a, a great uh, philosophy on life that you've got there from from many perspectives particularly a spiritual one um, would you say you're a particularly spiritual guy now Frank?
1: I don't know. People say I am. I still feel like a goddamn barbarian. But people say you're a spiritual guy. <laughs> you know, they, I, uh, I, I definitely believe that in a power greater than myself and that, you know, I'm merely you know, a, a wave in the ocean. You know, I'm not the ocean. But there's a great deal of power in that. If I can see myself as, a connect, as connected to everything, as opposed to separate, and I think that, that that's where everyone's struggle is. I mean, every everything from everything you read in the newspapers to whatever your interpersonal relationships are, reflect uh, how separate one is at that any given moment.
0: Yeah, they always do, don't they? They focus on separation rather than connection. Um, yeah, on that,
1: I, yeah, I agree.
0: On, on that note, what's your take on the mind-body connection and how important is it? To uh, to get where you want to go,
1: you know I, I don't I, I, I it's beyond important it it's it's a it's a reality that in order to have a balanced life all three of those components require attention I mean it's the the, the word spirit comes from the Greek for breath and and e- so even back then in ancient Greece. They understood the value of the spirit. They didn't call food spirit. They called breath spirit. Dealing with your spirit is every every bit as important, and and uh, and every bit as important as as what, how you deal with your food and how you deal with your 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 mind and your everything. It's, your spirit is just as important as what you put in your mouth is what what you what, how you you how you express your heart, how you participate in the cycle of love is every bit as important as how you participate in the cycle of nutrition and the cycle of education. To separate them is, is, um, is, is an illusion.
0: It's a, it's a very valid point, yeah. I mean, I agree 100%. You know, as both as a chiropractor and also as a, uh, a health coach, um, I definitely advocate the idea, eat well, move well, think well, and we'll be well. Take any one of those three out the equation and Small. you're going to get problems, aren't you?
1: I'm immediately. I mean, be, be, immediately, not like in a little while, they just get worse, but you begin to suffer immediately. Uh, I'm, I'm of the school that believes that, you know, I'm, I'm not a religious person, um, but just for the sake of, uh, of this uh, metaphor, I'm of the school of thought that believes that when, the moment you commit a transgression, which means that you commit an, an act against your higher nature, that there's not some place in the future that you're going to burn. I, I believe that you immediately begin to feel, experience the repercussions of it, whether you are aware of it or not. So if you steal something from someone, you may feel a sense of victory at that moment, but you're, you, you've just it's stepped into a situation that is, is corrosive to the soul, and one way or another it will reveal itself.
0: Yeah, I guess it must do. It's no doubt about it. No. Yeah, I
1: mean, you, you, in your field as a chiropractor, which involves really touching people, you see how much the body absorbs cellularly. I mean, there's, a, there's only so much you, you can go if you've been traumatized as a child or what have you. You can go to therapy, and I believe, I, I believe therapy is valid, totally valid, but there's also you can talk about stuff, but then there's stuff that's in your body that's got to be worked out.
0: Well, there's no two ways about it. And yes, I definitely do see that every day and, and, and feel it through my hands. Because there's no doubt about it, at least it, it, definitely in my mind, and I'm sure you'd agree. Every cell in your body's got a memory. Whether it's a muscle, whether it's, you know, whatever it is, it's got a memory, hasn't it?
1: Indeed. Indeed.
0: So I'm, what, glad
1: they, I, I'm glad they can't all talk, though.
0: Yeah, that's a good point, isn't it? Oh, to be a fly on the wall if they could.
1: Oh, my God. I, I think I would join you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Funny. So um, when I uh, first seen you, first heard of you, it was on Hungry for Change, Frank. Uh, what was it like for um, to work on that? I believe those guys, um, James and Laurentine, are amazing people.
1: Oh, they, they are absolutely one of my favorite people on the planet. They are just um Really delightful, dedicated, and committed to this uh, to the cause of bringing wellness to people worldwide. Uh, James and Laurentino uh, really intelligent, um, uh, really intelligent about how they get the the the, uh, the word out. Working with them, it was uh, I was uh, staying at a, a, a friend's house in Hollywood Hills, and uh, really it was a very nice place. And they came over uh, with all the gear and stuff, and and they spent, uh, I don't know, we spent 10 hours on and off shooting. Uh, you wouldn't know it by the you know, it's like five minutes in the film. But um, um, we, um, it was a very heartful exchange. They, they asked very poignant questions. And um, at, at one point uh, they stopped shooting because all of us were crying at the same time because um, uh, we just got really, it was a very powerful exchange. And... Uh, I, I, and so uh, it was great. I have no, I have only wonderful things to say about them, and um, and they 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 live in Southern California now, which I'm really happy about. So we can see each other. Laurentine is pregnant with their first child, and so that's really great. I mean, imagine being imagine you know like being a kid and having them for parents.
0: It'd be brilliant, wouldn't
1: they? Oh my God.
0: So do you know when I um, one of the things I remember from Hungry for Change when you were speaking, I think the question was along the lines of "What do you need to heal?" and you said something like "All you need is love." Was that the right. was that the words? Yeah.
1: Indeed, you know, and and uh, interestingly enough, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Viktor Frankl.
0: I know of you yeah.
1: Know, yeah, and so you know, and you know of, of his plight in the concentration camps. And uh, and he, and, you know, it's funny, I just read this yesterday, because I reread that book periodically, um, especially when I start to feel sorry for myself. And uh, he wrote that man's greatest achievement could be to, to love. And he wrote that in, in, in the midst of, and he came to that conclusion in the midst of the most horrible situation you could possibly imagine. And so, you know, the Beatles said it, and... Um, but the Greeks said it, the Romans said it, the Sumerians said it. Um, you, you know, the you know the the Zoroastrians said it. I mean, everyone's. I mean, it's it's the it's the basis of every of of every religion and spiritual practice. And uh, all we got to do is start practicing it. You know, Marion Williamson says that. We have all the information that we need. The age of downloading is over. We don't need to download any more information. All we need to do now is implement the stuff that we have.
0: Very true. It's, it's it's time to act, isn't it? For the I'd for, say you know. so, man. yeah, I'd no say doubt. So, so um, aside from or in addition to the um, the guys at the Gratitude Cafe. Who were your uh, inspirations or mentors to get healthy, and uh, who who would your role models be today as well?
1: Oh, my role models today! Oh, that's a great. Uh, <laughs> um, really, uh, I my today like I, I really get a tremendous amount of satisfaction from watching people devote themselves to, to their health. Um, the I, I work with people. Uh, sometimes and and, to, and and i I understand the struggle because uh, I understand the struggle, but who are my role models today um, really uh, I, my uh, the, the people in my life are my role models, my friends that are around me that that uh, are and the people that I work with that really struggle to uh, to do the right thing you know being a decent human being is uh, is, is not it 's not easy and um um, it's much easier to be cynical and to be. It doesn't take any creative creativity to be cynical and pessimistic and, and hostile, but it takes a tremendous amount of of intestinal fortitude to, and to face yourself. People that are around me now, the people that are in my life now, all practice that to one extent or another, and um, and uh, we reflect each other. And those um, you know as far as big name role models I, I guess I have the usual you know Gandhi and and uh, people like that you know and Marianne Williamson I listen you know who I, I think is one of the great minds of our generation uh, you know people like that but um, for the most part look I, I would suggest look around you you know not I'm not am using the universal you not you Danny but you know, for anybody listening you, you look around you because there's greatness around you it may not may not be dressed in the uh, in the youtube video that you think uh it should be but um there's greatness everywhere
0: absolutely mate, couldn't agree more now um you touched on something really important there, uh, surrounding yourself with like minded people and people that support you and uh, the challenge a lot of people have today is they haven't surrounded themselves with great people, have they?
1: It's, it really has to do with how committed you are to creating a shift in your life, I, I believe. Like when I stopped drinking, you know, well when I was drinking alcoholically, I didn't want to hang around anybody that was, I, I didn't feel comfortable being around other people that weren't doing what I was doing. And when I stopped drinking, Interestingly enough, um, I didn't really have to try to change my friends. They just disappeared, you know, and, and so really it, it depends on how how badly you want something. If you really, if you want to be, if you want to be a gymnast, you're going to hang around with gymnasts. If you want to be a better tennis player, you hang around with a, you start playing with a better tennis player. If you want to change your game, you got to change your game. And um and I'm not saying that that's easy i don't mean to be i don't mean to sound flip at all about it. It's not an easy thing because you're stepping into uncharted waters it's something you haven't done before. but if you want something you've never had, you have to do something you've never done and and that requires experiencing a degree of discomfort and I believe that today with with today's um extensive extensive um glorification of pharmacology that that um really nobody really wants to experience discomfort i mean there are, there are rehabs that uh, that talk about they they promote themselves by saying you can come in here without we, we can we can detox you without any withdrawal symptoms well i think that withdrawal is a crucial part of of detoxing i think that you have to it's important to experience the the um the, uh, the, the experience, the consequences of your choices. Now, when I say consequences, I'm not coming off like a puritanical person. But so you, 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 you have a, you, if, you, if you get through, go through something unscathed, you're not going to learn anything. And so if you're an, an addict and, you, and your detox is a breeze, well, it's no, you know, where is your motivation to change your life, you know, when, when things get tough?
0: very true though. it reminds me of what um, when I was um, growing up, my oldest brother is uh, 10 years older than me and when I went through some challenging times growing up he'd always say, you know what, you need to go through the difficult or the challenging times, it'll make you appreciate the good times never forgotten that, it's so true isn't it?
1: it without death there can be no life
0: yeah, indeed what is it that drives you to uh, to do the work that you do today, Frank? And uh, what's the reason for that?
1: Well, um, I like being healthy, for one, and uh, and I remember very very well where I came from. If, if well, for one thing, I keep doing these interviews, so I'm totally remembering where I came from all the time, and so now it's become a way of life, and it's not something. I mean, once in a while, like I, I like everyone, like I'm, I'm not. Perfect. Like everyone, like everyone else, I, I may veer from the track, either spiritually, emotionally, or physically, but I get back on. And and um, I'm definitely motivated by, by, uh, <clears throat> by first of all by the people that call me. I mean that's if you know when people call you to, for advice or they call you in pain or they or they email me or Facebook me about some kind of difficulty, because there are times when I want to give this up, because it's, sometimes it's challenging, and I, I think, well, Jesus, maybe I should just go get a job somewhere. And then I'll get a, a, a an email or a Facebook message from someone that was really inspired by something that, that I said or did that I, I've long forgotten. And and then it just brings me back to, uh, to reality. It, it's like, I, you know, I get... I just – things aren't going my way, and so you know, so I, I, I feel like, wow, things aren't going my way, and I get all pissy about it. And then somebody with a, a real issue gets in touch with me, and, and it brings me back to what's really important. And what I'm doing, strangely enough, what I'm doing apparently is important, and um, I'm always very surprised considering I, – because I, I, I remember where I came from. And now everything that I've ever been ashamed of and everything I would have done my best to hide from you have become the very things that people want to talk to me about. So it's a very, it's, a, it's, a, it's, an, interesting, it's an interesting position to be in.
0: Yeah, that ties in very much with uh, what you said right at the beginning. Everybody's got a story, haven't they? And yes, um, we're not always aware how significant the, parts of our story will significantly help other people are we?
1: No, I, mean, I, I was always of the belief that the, the moment I learned how to do something it lost its value and uh, <clears throat> that's not true you know that's not true
0: indeed yeah so you know when you work with your with your clients um, what sort of, uh, is there a diet program? I mean you touched on ve- a vegan diet uh, earlier on, do you still, are you 100% vegan, or what's, what's the score with the way no, you live? No,
1: I'm not, 100, not 100% vegan, and you know, one of the things I've always said is that there's no one size fits all, I think that, uh, and even when I on on the road and people ask me, are you vegan, are you raw, are you this, are you that, my response is that I just, I, my response is that I, I eat a primarily plant-based diet. And the reason I say that is because is because it takes it, it it takes nothing to alienate people. And so if people think that if people think that I'm totally raw or totally vegan, you know, it's sort of like being an evangelist. You know, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And if you haven't, you're gonna to go to hell. And, and and I don't and I and my goal is to be as inclusive as I possibly can while maintaining the integrity of the program. And so there are people that could, would not you want to set people up to succeed, so there are people that if you put them on a totally re- vegan diet, maybe they 'll do it for a short period of time then they 'll go off of it then they 'll feel guilty about going off of it, and then all the triggers that bring them back to the to where they were are are in force. My feeling is, 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 a, is to take it a day at a time with this, with this it's specific to the individual, and I know this this gets a lot of people annoyed and, and, and I believe it annoys people that are strictly raw or strictly vegan. But this is what I find works best with the people I work with. And so, you know, if a person eats a primarily plant-based diet and they go out and have a piece of chicken or fish or a piece of, you know, roast beef, you know, I'm not going to condemn them. But after a couple of weeks, they find that what what they thought they liked, they have a memory, memory of liking a particular food, and they go for it and they eat it, and it feels terrible. Well, that's better than me telling them not to eat it.
0: To come to their own conclusions, yeah, that makes sense. It's it's very powerful, you know,
1: isn't it? Right. If you come, if you is no, there's no teacher like experience, and so but, you know, like, you know, so there's a lot of things I no longer eat because, because I don't want to, and because I don't feel good after I eat them.
0: Yeah, just, like I yeah, I know what you mean there. Like um, whether I'm talking about uh, food or 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 our bodies, I often say to patients and clients, uh, "Listen to your body. Your body will tell you yeah. if it's good for you or not." So, um, what was it that you found were your main triggers to you know to continue overeating or to continue, uh, you know, taking drugs or you know drinking too much uh, alcohol? Yeah.
1: One of, the, one of the things that uh, that I would do um, is I wouldn't eat throughout the day. Like I'd wake up and I'd say to myself that today I'm going to eat differently. It was just like what I was drinking. Today I'm not going to drink. You know, by, you know, and by 5 o'clock I was, I was already three sheets to the wind. So I'd wake up in the morning and I'd say I'm, I'm going to be different today. And I wouldn't eat. So I wouldn't eat breakfast and I wouldn't eat lunch. And I would think and, and then, in my mind, I was convinced that I was like on on the right path, but come five o'clock or so or six or seven o'clock, all of a sudden, I would be overwhelmed with cravings for food and and um and so that that was what that was, that was a habit that I had, and what I would do is i'd go to i don't know if you have them in, in uh, um, where you are <clears throat> but- America has these um Buffet restaurants, all-you-can-eat, which is, which sounds really, if you think about it, sounds pretty grotesque, has all-you-can-eat restaurants, which I'm surprised there wasn't a guy, when he, you know, when I parked my car, there wasn't a guy standing at the door with an AK-47 saying, you can't come in here because <laughs> I, would, I would walk into these restaurants, Danny. I would walk in, and before I sat down, I would scan the, the steam tables where all the hot food was and noticed that they were short on certain things. And I, before I sat down to eat, I would go to the guy, mostly they were Indian restaurants, and I'd go to the guy and I'd say, look, you're a little low on that tandoori chicken and, you know, and this and that. And there were few, I said, you know, be, This is before I started. And, uh, and then I would sit down and do damage. I mean, I wouldn't just have a meal. I would eat enough for like five people. And I did that a number of times a week.
0: Do you know what vision I've got in my head just now? Do you, you're familiar with The Simpsons? Yeah. That's, yeah, uh, sure. Homer Simpson when he goes into I think it's a seafood restaurant, um, it's an all-you-can-eat restaurant, and he literally, you know, where he's like, he doesn't stop eating Homer, does he? He's like, I haven't finished yet. You said all-you-can-eat. That's the picture I had in my head just there. Yeah, it, it's
1: it's like, and and then here's the thing. Here's the process. See? <clears throat> then I then I then I ate as much as I could eat. Which was a lot, and then I would look at the pile of dishes at the side of my table, because I would always take a bigger table so I had more room for dishes, and then and then would and then I would be overcome with a sense of remorse, guilt, and shame, just like the the morning after a bender you know i would I would be looking at this and I would just feel so ashamed and disgusted with myself and uh, and that was uh, the cycle of my life. Um, you know, th- that was the cycle. And I was, I was preventing the very thing that I wanted most in my life, which was connection with other human beings. I was, you know, I was, I was uh, preventing that from happening. And um, I believe that everything that everybody does during the course of their day, and I mean everything that everybody does, has something to do with a desire to connect with other human beings. And I think even war is a corrupted attempt at connecting with another human being. Violence is, is a corrupted attempt at one point um, where uh, uh, someone was trying to connect with another human being and at that mo- moment there was a violation that corrupted that individual. So I believe that that's what we're here for. I believe that that that's what everybody does during the course of their day.
0: That's a very interesting point there. You raised a few interesting points there, Frank. Um, I have my moments, Danny. (laughs) Good stuff, mate. Well, that's why you're on this call, to share some of your insights with us. Um, Thank you. You mentioned um, uh, shame and guilt came up on a a cycle, whether it be after a a food bender or a drink and drugs bender. What's... what was the best thing you found over the years to help you release that shame and guilt because it eats you up, doesn't it? Those two emotions.
1: Oh, my God. It's the worst. It's, it's, I believe it's the cause, it causes cancer. Um, <clears throat> well, the, I, had to, I had to practice forgiveness, Danny. And, and um, I believe the, the, the universe has designed it so poetically that in order for me to forgive myself I have to forgive you first and uh, because every victim has victims too, you know, every victim has a victim because hurt people hurt people and um, I saw myself as a victim for many many years and operated uh, with a mindset that was a victim mindset so um, either people were out to get me or I was going to get mine because I suffered and as a result uh, I was always I was always in a dark. Place. I was frequently in, always not always in a dark place, and it wasn't until I began to forgive people that um, hurt me pretty badly that I started to forgive myself, and uh, and it took and it took a while. It wasn't it wasn't it wasn't easy for me because those resentments resentments give me gave me the illusion of of power. For a moment, if I'm resentful, I don't have to feel the pain of that experience. <clears throat> so, so in the resentment, it's a, it's a, it's perverse, but, but there's a sense of uh, of superiority, a sense of uh, of power that comes with it, and it's fleeting, of, of course. But then, uh, but I had to let go of those resentments. And the funny thing was that when I started, like there was one in particular with the Catholic Church that I had. And when I, I I had a an experience with with a, a representative of the church and a priest, and I had a session, I, I went to I went to see this guy basically to indict him, and the church, and um, um, he said I went I sat in his office and it was a typical Catholic office, heavy oak, heavy red velvet stuff, furniture upholstery and curtains and all of that and. And, I, and uh, my girlfriend at the time wanted to be a Catholic, and she wanted me to reconcile. So, I, you, know, I, you know, men do amazing things to keep the peace in the house. So I decided to go to this appointment, and um, I sat in his office prepared to, with a list of indictments for him and his church, and I was really going to let him have it. And as I took a breath, he, you know, because he said, I, I understand you have issues with the church. And I said, Issues? I said I said issues I said issues would be fantastic if that's all I had. I said let me tell you what I have and I took a deep breath and he said to me, "When was the last time you went to confession?" And I was stunned by his question because I thought I'm here to kick your ass and you're going to ask me for my confession. But you know they got me when I was little, so I said, "Well, it's been a long time." He goes, "How about now?" And I said, "Okay, well, fine." And and with a great deal of, of uh, scorn, I said I, I said the, the ritual, bless me, Father, and all of that. And I said, I don't remember the last time I went to confession. He says, well, what are your sins? And I said, well, I said that I've done a lot of things. I'm not going to get into details of Father, which I was surprised I called him Father. I said, and I started to soften. I said, I'm not going to get into details. I've done a many, many things I'm, I'm ashamed of. I said, but the one thing that I regret the most, that I still feel a tremendous amount of sadness about, is that I hurt people. And for that, I'm truly sorry. And he said to me, he said, um, my son, he said, on behalf of the Catholic Church, I apologize for all the wrongs done to you. And he said, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, I absolve you of all your sins. And now, my son i leave you to the daunting task of forgiving yourself and i walked out of that office and felt empty because my my anger towards the church for whatever reason went away it just went away and i forgave them and and i didn't know how to identify myself at that point i mean i walked out of there and i felt this emptiness it was, it, was, I was, it was such a part, that resentment to the church was such a deep part of my identity that after, if, if, we, if you and I were to meet in a bar, within three minutes we would, I would have enrolled you in my cause against the Catholic Church. And now that was gone. I had to figure out another way. I had to re-identify myself. I had to fill my heart with something other than that corrosive resentment. But it wasn't until I forgave them that I began my journey of forgiving myself. And I think that that has been the biggest, most difficult, uphill uphill, uh, uphill journey for me of all of them. Greater than the heroin, greater than the booze, greater than the cocaine, greater than my behaviors, greater than the food, was learning how to forgive myself. And in doing that, I was also able to enter into a place of spiritual and emotional and physical health that I had never experienced before in my
0: life. That's a a, a profound uh, little uh, story. It's not the right word, but you know what I mean? That's a profound um, story that um, you've you've just shared with us all there, Frank. And it reminds me of something I heard many years ago. Um, When you forgive somebody else, Ultimately, you're only forgiven a part of yourself, anyway. So, it's starting the forgiveness process with yourself, isn't it?
1: Indeed, you know the interesting thing about forgiveness is it does nothing for the other person. Yeah. You know, it's it's a very it's a very positively selfish thing to do, and and uh, and and yeah, and it's, it's 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 really yeah, it is a very profound experience.
0: uh... Oh, no doubt. Okay. One thing
1: I wanted to add to that, if I may, Danny, is that one of the reasons that people, including myself included, have difficulty with forgiveness is that we interpret it as something that we're letting the other person get away with, and and it's not. They've already done it. They've already gotten away with it. You know, it's it's whatever for whatever that means, and I think that the uh, the crucifixion metaphor, the the the. Um, what, the way I see again, you know, I have to reiterate that I'm not a religious person, so I have to turn anybody off, but, but you know, just a statement of fact, I'm not. But one of the ways I look at the crucifixion is sort of like an athlete. So you look at the, like for example, when the four-minute mile finally happened, right? Prior to that, there was no record of anybody running a four-minute. So somebody runs a four-minute mile, and next thing you know, that year, peeing that record over and over again. So you look at the crucifixion in the same way, spiritually. So like what happens? He's on the cross, all this terrible stuff happened, and he's got nails in his hands, nails in his feet, and what does he say? Forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. So that's like a, a aspiration. That level, of, that level of compassion and forgiveness is an aspiration. That you know, can be reached, I guess, if you practice it. I mean, I'm probably this lifetime. I don't think so for me, but it's an aspiration that uh, that can be practiced in, that you know, over and over again. And and so that's what my spiritual life is. It's an aspiration. It's it's a it's an aspiration, and um, because it's not about an arrival, it's a process. And so. And so I aspire. One of the things, one of the things I, I, I love is the St. Francis prayer, where you know it says, "God, you know, um, you know that it is better that it, you know where it's essentially it's essentially a blueprint for, for the way I, I, I um for my life, you know, that it is better to give than to receive, it is better to love than to be loved, it is in the forgiving that we are forgiven, you know, and, and that sort of thing, and 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 because um, you know it's it's the spiritual message is really simple, it's not complicated. It's really simple. It boils down to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You know, everything else is commentary.
0: Yeah, very, very true. You definitely um, got a, a lot of spiritual element, elements to you, Frank. By the sounds of it, which is very good. Like it. So, um, not bad for the son of a mafioso from Brooklyn. <laughs> is, is that is that real? You know, you were the son of somebody in the mafia, were you?
1: My father, my father was he—he uh, he, he was from the—he was from Sicily, and he—he—he he, uh, he was, let's just say, very close to them.
0: Okay, interesting. So you must have seen some interesting things when you were growing up, then, no doubt.
1: Yeah, but uh, I didn't think they were interesting. They were normal to me until until like I grew up and realized no, that wasn't normal. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, but the rest of us seen that sort of stuff on films, and you must have seen it live sometimes. Must have been kind of scary, yeah, I guess. The,
1: the, the film, uh, the closest, uh, the closest film that I've seen to it is uh, Goodfellas, and um, my, my childhood was somewhere between On the Waterfront and Goodfellas.
0: It's a bit of a mixed bag, then.
1: Indeed, it is.
0: Good stuff. Um, well, what happens in your life shapes who you become anyway, doesn't it? So everything serves a purpose.
1: I don't always, asp- you know, I, don't, that, you know I, I know that everything serves a purpose. You know, I, it's just a matter of accepting, you know, part of acceptance is like really realize, one of the things I had to realize is that there's nothing I can do to make the past the way I wanted it to be. That's it. I can't do anything about it. And... Um, and you know, and I think so. You know, people are either in the past, or in the, so many people are either spending time in the past or in the future, as and, opposed to the um,
0: present. Yeah.
1: Yeah, which is where the magic is, really. It's, it's where you know, it's you know, God lives in the present, not the past or the future.
0: It's definitely a valid point, that because um, I think everybody's guilty of it to some extent, aren't they? I know I am sometimes always striving to move forwards at different, in different areas. And then I'm like, hang on, Dan. Slow down. What about now?
1: There you go being human again. What's the matter with you?
0: <laughs> I don't know. I often ask myself that, Frank. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, when when you, uh, if we go back to the sort of the, the, the health realm and the energy and performance realm, what, what do you recommend to your clients and indeed what would you recommend to listeners who are looking to um, boost energy and boost performance? I've been asking uh, pretty much all the other experts. If you were to give me three things that you could share with the uh, listeners.
1: Well, I'd say, uh, like, you know what, you say, Danny, is pretty good. You know, um, it's really it's uh, do something for someone else and don't get caught. Um, eat, you know, eat eat intelligently, and uh, and uh, and move around. You know, make sure you you, know, you can sweat once a day. You know, just I know this is like this is like you know, I'm a little pressured because I'm supposed to be really profound now. But basically, you know, take care of yourself and and uh, and look out for other. You know, look out for you. Look out for your your neighbor. You know, do the next right thing.
0: Indeed, that's some uh, great advice there. And uh, isn't it funny how the, um, I've said it many times on this series to the uh, other experts I've been speaking with, the simpler the better really when it comes to health, isn't it? It's not complicated, but just, uh, not everybody, but most people overcomplicate
1: it. Yeah, and you know why they do that? Because they don't really want to, they don't want to do it. You know, it's really, it's it's like, it's an egocentric thing. It's really, really simple. It's really simple. The simpler, the better, and uh, <clears throat> you know, it doesn't have to be all very complicated and all of that. Some people give it more for some reason. They they think it's a value a value added component if they if they uh, have to struggle to figure it out. It's not really. You know, it's not really. Um, you know, Gandhi was was uh, was. Um, was how old was he when he died? He was like in his eighties when he died, and, and you know he was still walking around. Yes, he got some help, but basically he was a vegetarian and uh, didn't eat very much and walked around a lot, and uh, and he changed the world.
0: He did. He's, he was he was an inspiration to so many people and still is indeed, isn't he?
1: Still is, man. Still is. Still is.
0: Good still stuff. Is. It's been a fantastic experience to have you on the call to share some of your wisdom, Frank. Thanks for taking out uh, some time from your busy schedule to be with us.
1: I'm grateful to be there, and uh, and uh, if I come to Liverpool, I expect a tour from you, Danny.
0: But if, as long as you make sure that I'm in Liverpool at the time, because I live in uh, near London. But if you give oh, me a oh, heads up.
1: Yeah, oh, okay. Well, then we'll tour London. It's all right.
0: Yeah, come to London. Yeah, be happy too, mate.
1: Well, you know, the last time I was in London, Danny, was in 1971.
0: That was before I was born, long time ago.
1: I think it's before your parents even thought of you.
0: Yeah, way before, mate, way before.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so I I suspect it's changed quite a bit.
0: I would imagine so, yeah. What's that, like 71, what's that, 40, 42, 42 years ago, pretty much yeah
1: yep I went to go see I went to the cavern club and went to all those places
0: oh the cavern yeah classic place it's still open there actually um, it's a very very low ceiling that's the one isn't it yeah proper old school good stuff so um, where can people go to find out more information about you Frank is there any particular website you want to send them to
1: they can go to uh, Facebook, which I believe is now re- having a Facebook site is now required by law. And uh, let's see, uh, they can go to uh, uh, mayibefrankmovie dot com, and uh, yeah, and they can f- find me there and ask me questions. And if, I'll, I an- may take a little while, but I'll answer you. I'll answer you.
0: Excellent, brilliant. Uh, so is that? Uh your you film, May I Be Frank, um, is that on general release or do you have to buy it specifically through your site? What's uh, the crack it's, there?
1: It's on Hulu. I don't, I, guess, I don't know if you guys get Hulu. It's on Hulu. Um, you can get it on the website. And, um, uh, yeah, I believe you can get it on the website and Hulu and, and, uh, and Amazon.
0: Excellent. Good stuff. So thanks again, Frank. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you, Danny, and uh, have a great weekend, man.
0: You too, mate. All the best. You've been listening to Dr. Danny Scarhill on the Total Health Transformation podcast, helping you to eat, move, and think on purpose. See you on our next episode.